Welcome to The Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning. This is Papa Tom of The Father's Heart Talk Show, and I have with me a special guest, Dr. Frank Turek. And uh, Dr. Frank is an author, an apologist, and uh, he's a, um, someone who uh, I have had the, the faithful experience and the, uh, the joy of having listened to him uh, do some preaching as well. And I wanted to have him on the Father's Heart talk show because uh, he does have a father's heart and he's very interested in what's happening with the church and what's going on in America today um, with the church. And we want to hear from him. Before I introduce him to our audience, he's going to share a little bit about his background. I realized when I read some of his background that uh, he went to George Washington University and I went to Georgetown. Mm. And uh, probably at different years, but there's some similarity there. And he's also from New Jersey originally. And I'm originally from New York, so we got some Northeasterners here in North Carolina sharing some things with our audience. So with that, Frank, share with our audience a little bit about your background and how you got into writing the things that you're writing in crossexamine.org. Yeah, th thanks, Tom. I, I came to faith through evidence. I, I uh, was uh, given a couple of books by Josh McDowell, Evidence Demands a Verdict and More Than a Carpenter, back in the 80s. And so I became a Christian while I was in the Navy. When I got out of the Navy, I went and met a man by the name of Norman Geiser, who at the time was the top, what we would call apologist. That's somebody who defends the Christian faith in probably in the world at the time. He had written scores of books and had started a seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. So in 1993, my wife and I moved down here with our three sons and mm -hmm. I started to attend seminary here, Southern Evangelical Seminary, still a great seminary, ses.edu. And, uh, and then started a ministry called crossexamine.org. And Dr. Geis and I wrote a couple of books. One of them is called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. So I speak quite a bit on that topic. Yeah, I remember reading that. Uh, both you and I also share a similar background. We were raised Catholic. I was, yes. uh, I was the oldest of eight kids. And I don't mm -hmm. know how many children were you and your family, but uh, I was born in Brooklyn, grew up in Long Island, and I went to an all-boys Catholic school. Uh, in high school as well as a uh, Catholic school at Georgetown, if you can call it Catholic anymore. Um, and I too, uh, when I was 28 years old, uh, had an experience with the Lord. And uh, to me, it was much more emotional, I think, than necessarily intellectual. Although I do remember that book uh, by Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, uh, back in the 80s, like you said. And uh, it was something that uh, struck me because uh, Josh McDowell was an atheist. Originally, he started out with an yes. atheist, and he was a trained lawyer, and he was going to prove to his daughter, I think it was, that uh, what she was believing was a lie. So he intellectually looked at all the evidence uh, with the intent as a lawyer to prove the case that Jesus was not who he said he was. And after looking at all the evidence, he came to say, this is impossible not for him to say we are. Yeah, somebody challenged him. I don't think it was his daughter, because I don't know if he was married at the time. You may be thinking also of a similar story from Lee Strobel, whose wife became a Christian. Maybe that's what. And he was, a, he was uh, uh, trained as a journalist, Lee was, and uh, he investigated it. And then, of course, wrote the famous book, uh, famous book uh, Case for Christ. But I think it was a friend that challenged Josh McDowell. In any event, he, uh, he looked at the evidence and he came to the conclusion it was true. And that book, Evidence Demands a Verdict, has been updated several times. It's still one of the great books on Christian evidences. Yeah, one of the things, I, one of my takeaways from that conversation, you're, I'm sure you're correct, I conflated two different stories, but both of them have a basis in fact. And that was that uh, Josh's position was that you can't scientifically prove 
that Jesus was who he was because God didn't use a scientific proof. Scientific proof would be you could repeat it again in the laboratory. He says it's mm -hmm. not a legal, pro a, a scientific process of proof, but it was a, a, uh, a proof of evidence. It sure. was using all, a... Yeah, all, all history happened just once. Correct. So you can't go in the can't laboratory repeat and repeat history. Um, you might say that it's a forensic science to look at the past. That's, of course, what detectives use to try and discover, you know, who was the... Uh, the suspect in a murder, for example, they can look at clues left over and use that kind of science, more of an historical science. But yes, the empirical kind of science you can repeat over and over again, mm -hmm. that normally can't be used for historical events because historical events just right. happen once. But right. it's still evidence, right, sure. that something happened. Well, the, the, his, his premise was you could only really use for, for, as a trained lawyer, you could only use evidence by testimony. And then you had a mm -hmm. testimony of literally 11 people who died? Mm -hmm. uh, they have died. Either they died for a lie, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you a can't, known lie, not just a lie. Uh, a known yeah, lie. A known lie. They either yeah. died for that, all independently in all different places in all different ways, or it was the truth. And he says there's no historical event in history that has that much evidence that you could find 11 people that would die for mm -hmm. for anything. Yeah, uh, for a known lie. You do have people today dying for a, a lie they think is the truth. I mean, you have martyrs in other faiths, but True. they haven't witnessed anything. The New Testament writers, on the other hand, witnessed Jesus rise from the dead or witnessed him risen. They mm -hmm. saw Jesus. They touched Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They verified with their own senses that Jesus had risen from the dead. So, yeah, some people will die for a lie they think is the truth. Nobody will die for a lie they know is a lie. And the New Testament writers were in a position to know whether it was a lie or not, and they went to their deaths anyway. So you really can't get better evidence than that unless you were there yourself. Right. So where, where do you have uh, your current book today about um, the uh, – you don't have the faith to be uh, an atheist. Right. Uh, because there's too much evidence that you – there's known evidence – that uh, not only God exists, but also that Jesus existed and mm -hmm. what he did for us uh, mm -hmm. is proved over and over again in so many different ways. And yet we live in a world that is so anti-God and mm -hmm. uh, we have a government that's promoting uh, an anti-God position. Mm -hmm. And it's no longer the, the government of our founding fathers. No, it's not. And that's one of the big problems. And the reason for that is, Tom, is because Christians too long have been silent. We've decided that we can't get involved on political issues when, in fact, everything's political now. Even the Bible's political, right? You know, mm -hmm. in, in, some, in some places in Canada, you can't preach certain Bible verses because they call that hate speech. Yeah. Well, look, if the Bible becomes political, are people going to talk about it then? Are pastors going to talk about it? We're called to love our neighbor in every area of life, including politics. And when people say, oh, I just preach the gospel, I don't get involved in politics, I always say to them, I guess you don't think the gospel is very important then. Why? Because politics affects your ability to preach and live the gospel. Right. I mean, there, there, I can guarantee you there's no The Father's Heart talk show in North Korea. There's no, there's no First Baptist Church of Riyadh. There's no Calvary Chapel of uh, Tehran. Why? Because politically they've ruled it out. Mm -hmm. And if for no other reason you ought to get involved politically is to protect your uh, right to preach and live the gospel. Uh, we, we take it for granted that we have a political freedom here 
and religious freedom. But that that's not the way it is around the world. And many of our religious and, and uh, political uh, freedoms are going away because Christians have decided that we can't get engaged in these issues when Jesus himself got engaged in political issues. Sure. Who did he go after the most? The Pharisees. Right. And who were the Pharisees? They were the politicians of Israel. They were on the Sanhedrin. They helped run Israel politically. And Jesus excoriated them. Sure. So we have to be Christians 24-7 in every area of our life, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our jobs, in our homes, in the voting booth, wherever it is, we have to operate from a biblical perspective. Yes, we're going to have to take a break here in about 30 seconds. But when we come mm -hmm. back, I want to talk with you about Eric McTassis and his mm -hmm. book, Letter to the American Church, which you mm -hmm. had mentioned before. And a lot of your writings are consistent and complementary with what Eric was writing. As he also did a biography, I think, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer yep. uh, and uh, his, his comparison to where uh, the Lutheran Church was back in the 1930s That's right. and where we are today and the effect that he had on a small part of the church, but a big part of the church is the Lutheran Church is like 12,000 or 18,000, just was silent and they were not one way or the other. They were lukewarm, which you know what the scripture says about being lukewarm. So we'll be back in a moment with Dr. Frank Turek. We're back with Dr. Frank Turek and we're discussing this issue of the church getting involved with politics or maybe not getting involved with politics or thinking it shouldn't. And there's a book by an author, Eric Metaxas, who wrote the book, A Letter to the American Church, in which he compares where the church is today in America with the Lutheran church back in the 1930s in Germany and with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. With that in mind, uh, Dietrich was um, basically telling the church that they needed to get go against Hitler and many of them refused because they thought it was not the uh, church's uh, purview to get involved in politics. They were there out to save souls. And that was the excuse that they made. So where we are today, Frank, in that same... Yeah, we are. In fact, I always ask Christians two questions. The first question is, should Christians care how people are treated? I've never, said, I've never heard of a Christian saying no. We all agree we ought to care how people are treated. The next question is, should Christians care how people are treated by their government? Well, if you should care how people are treated, you should, you should certainly care how people are treated by their government, right? Yes. Welcome to politics, ladies and gentlemen. You can't avoid it. If we're going to love our neighbors, we have to put laws in place that protect them from evil. That's what governments do. They protect innocent people from evil. That's what good governments do. That's what they should be doing. Yeah, it should be doing. Unfortunately, lately, instead of uh, protecting innocent people from evil, many government laws are now doing evil, whether it's paying for abortion or trying to get kids to mutilate themselves before they're 18 or uh, uh, allowing all sorts of uh, drugs and, and uh, nefarious characters to come over the border without even being screened. I mean, this is evil. And, and if Christians don't stand in the way of evil, who will? Uh, our, our, our neighbors, whether they're Christians or not, get hurt when government doesn't do its job. And so we have to be the conscience of a nation. We have to get involved. And what Eric is pointing out in the book, Letter to a, uh, uh, it's Letter to the American Church, I think it's called, yes, correct. is uh, the fact that we're following the same pattern, as you mentioned earlier, that the Nazi uh, government got the church to follow. And that is basically be silent. Just don't, don't say a word. Just keep quiet about these issues. 
Well, that's the, the fastest way to have your society devolve into, into a tyrannical society is to take the godly influence out of it. Why do we wonder that things go godless when godly people get out of it, whatever it is, sure. whether it's the government, whether it's the media, whether it's law, whether it's teaching, whatever it is, whatever profession it is, if Christians get out and take their influence away from those from those disciplines or, or those areas of life, they're going to go godless. We have to be engaged. So true. And uh, it reminds me, because I'm sure you had a similar background that I did. Growing up as an Irish Catholic, I was taught the Baltimore Catechism. And I was taught in the Baltimore Catechism the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, I used to think evil was somebody stole something. Somebody mm -hmm. told a lie. You know, mm -hmm. when I get older, I used to think sexual sins were basically somebody committed adultery. The most heinous thing I couldn't remember being taught or realizing somebody committed adultery. This is the most bad thing you could possibly. That and maybe suicide were the, the, the big sins. As I got older, I realized that evil really gravitates to power. Mm -hmm. That evil is all about power. And what we're seeing were the powers and principalities of evil are, have already moved into our country and all the countries of the world, which is actually, the Bible actually shares that end of the age, that's all gonna happen. And they're interested in perpetrating things upon the people to gain, is tyranny. Tyr tyranny mm -hmm. is probably the highest form of evil because it takes away our God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It takes away our free will. It takes away our freedom. We're no longer able to be the children of God. They're no longer to be the people that God created in his image and likeness because we have another Lord and master. And that Lord and master is Satan himself who works through these powers and principalities of evil to take away our freedom, to control us. And his ultimate goal is basically to depopulate the earth. The, most of these people who run these uh, organizations uh, and where you see them being influenced like um, Fauci and uh, what was his name? Bill Gates and all these different people. Klaus World, Schwab, e World Economic Forum. World Economic Forum. Yeah. They believe yeah. in the Malthusian doctrine that there's mm -hmm. only supposed to be 500 million people on the earth. So there's 8 billion people on the earth. So they got to knock off 7.5 billion people, right? Th this is where evil has gone. This is well, where notice, we uh, right notice now. they never volunteer themselves to get out of the way, Tom. That's true. They always want somebody else to die. They're the Thanoses, if I can use a uh, movie reference here, of the world. And um, it's, uh, it's tragic. And it's largely because Christians have been silent. We allow evil to overrun us. And uh, that's not loving other people when you allow evil to overrun why a society. Think, why do you think And that by is? the way, uh, you, you hit on one of the big three. Power is a big one. But the other two, the Bible talks about, are sex and money. Mm -hmm. Sex, money, and power. Those are all good things, by the way. Mm -hmm. The problem is they're so good, we'll often take shortcuts to get them. That's why we sin. In fact, John says all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Sex, money, and power. Mm -hmm. uh, so... We have to be sure that we are not being pulled away by those temptations and uh, denying the Lord who bought us. We, mm -hmm. we, we acknowledge those are good things, but we have to get them in the appropriate way. We can't take shortcuts to get them, and uh, that's what we tend to do. You know, Baron Rothschild once, wrote, once stated, I don't care who makes the laws as long as I can print the money. And so <laughs> all these three things are intertwined with each other, right. but their end goal is really for the power. 
no, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the sex. I'll give you, I'll give you the money. Just give me the power. And uh, all those things being traded. And a lot of our politicians, as you probably well aware, are bought off with money. But why are they bought mm -hmm. off? Because of power. I want to get mm -hmm. to another issue, which is that mm -hmm. issue of why do you think uh, people uh, are um, so uh, apathetic? Or why are, they, why are they not taking it? Are they afraid? Are they afraid not to take action? Why, why does it make good people just stand still? Like Edmund Burke says, all that has to happen for Eagle to exist is that good people do nothing. Why do yeah, we well, do nothing? What, what, what's the things, motivation? I, I think uh, if you look at the book of Judges in the Old Testament, um, where the people went wrong is when they got too prosperous, they got too comfortable, and they forgot about God. Then they were judged, they repented, they came back to faith, then they began to prosper again, and the cycle continued. I know this is going to sound really odd because I, I want people to be prosperous, but I think one of the greatest dangers we have, or let me put it another way, one of the greatest trials we have is prosperity. When things get too good and too comfortable, we just want them to keep going. And so we'll compromise on so many things to keep uh, our comfort, to keep our prosperity, to keep the relative peace. We'll keep giving up rights. We'll keep giving up our principles. We'll keep giving up the truth so we can remain prosperous and comfortable. So it's complacency? Oh, sure. It's certainly complacency. We could all say we're complacent to a certain degree. I don't want to lose comfort. I don't want to lose power. Mm -hmm. I don't want to lose any of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can put myself in that category. We have to, we have to be aware when this happens, we have to try and not compromise for this short-term gain uh, and, and then sacrifice this long-term loss that we're going to have because we're too comfortable. We've, well, we've got to look at the long game and we've got to follow what Jesus told us to do. Let's take, for example, the, what recently we went through with COVID and mm -hmm. uh, the mandates for COVID, you know the whole story, the, yeah. the masks, the social distancing, and also the shutting down of non-essential businesses, including which were churches. Now, this yeah. is coming from a governmental source, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, the casinos, the abortion clinics, and the uh, and the uh, uh, massage uh, casinos, abortion clinics, the uh, what am I forgetting here? Liquor stores. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, liquor stores. That was the other one I was looking for. They all remain open. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's the churches that have to close. And somehow Walmart is an essential business, but the mom and pop on the corner isn't. Who decided that? Yeah, well, it's it's those people in power, the elitists who are in power. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it satisfies their agenda. It satisfies their narrative. Walmart and, has a lobbyist, you know. Yeah. Bob and Mary's corner uh, corner hardware store doesn't have a lobbyist so yeah that's probably it well walmart sending the politicians money if you look at the nazis there mm -hmm. was a public private cooperation between the public sector and the private sector so in the nazi world right big business is okay it's the little business it's the little mom pa shop it's the yeah. it's the middle class that's not okay because they can't control the middle class, but they can control the big businesses. As long as they can control you, like Walmart, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. So the getting back to this thought about um, the government's coming in says, uh, and there's a scripture in Hebrews uh, 2, I think it's 14 and 15. It says, the, um, who through the fear of death blinded the eyes of the un unbelieving? And that Satan uses the fear of death 
which is same thing the Nazis did, Hitler did back in the 1930s. A lot of his initial grabs for tyranny had to do with healthcare. They were, yeah. were health-related things. Um, so it's like the government saying, I'm doing this for your benefit. As a matter of fact, they got the Jews to go into the uh, railroad cars. That's because right. Because they made them scared of, of the Red Army coming. And so for your benefit, we're going to relocate you. They didn't tell them you're local relocating in, in Auschwitz, but that's what they were doing. And it's a similar thing that the government's using or has used a couple of years ago. And it's going to try to use it again, we're sure, uh, to uh, you know, lockdowns, masks, social distancing. It's for your government because the next virus is going to come up and we've got to give you some more vaccines and whatever else they're going to with the whole other story. Well, um, Tom, you know, there's there's two things that. Uh, tyrants have been doing almost since government began to take the rights away from people. Uh, the two things are fear and free stuff. Mm -hmm. So you get people afraid and then you provide the solution through the government. So That's people it. get dependent on government. That's it. So, oh, we got this great uh, big, uh, big pandemic. We've got this virus coming in. You ought to be afraid, but don't never fear. We've got the vaccine that right. can solve it. So just listen to us and everything will be okay. Fear and free stuff. And it's coming again. Get ready. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to have to take a, a break here, another 30 seconds. And we'll get back to talking again with Dr. Frank Turek on this issue of how the government uses fear and free stuff to get us to do things, motivates us to do things which are totally against our best interest. And they do it with the explicit desire to take away our freedoms to give us security, which is a false security. It's a false sense of well-being, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the government. So we're living in a country when it becomes more and more tyrannical, it takes the, uh, the, the, literally the power away from we the people that the founding fathers gave us, and they take it from us so as governments to serve their purposes. So we'll be back in a moment with Dr. Frank Turek. back with Dr. Frank Turek, and we're talking about these enticements that are being used uh, to manipulate us. And the two biggest enticements from the government is fears, in many of us different forms. I had someone tell me that the uh, death is the mother of all fears, and then also free things. Fear and free things are things that are, that are being used psychologically in the theater of the mind to get us to do the government's bidding and to give away our freedoms. So with that, uh, let's give us some examples of that, Frank. Well, we just mentioned the vaccine. That's supposed to be the answer to all our problems, and we realized it wasn't. It actually created more trouble than it solved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so many people are having heart issues with the vaccine. Many deaths have occurred. It was rushed to market, and uh, it was supposed to be a way, it seems, for Remember, we mentioned sex, money, and power are the big three that uh, we have to uh, be aware of. They're temptations for all of us. I think the government uh, got a lot of, a lot of people in the government got intoxicated with power. And we all know that Big Pharma made a whole ton of money and continues to make a whole ton of yeah, money tens on of vaccines billions. that not only didn't work, but they were being recommended even for infants. And we know that infants, have, they're not susceptible to COVID at all. Mm -hmm. Small children who don't have comorbidity, morbidities aren't even susceptible to COVID. And yet you got the government pushing to try and get these young children to take this death shot. 
Uh, it's crazy. So fear and free stuff. The same thing, by the way, is 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 was true in the Great Depression. Uh, you know, we're going to create the government's going to take care of you. The government's going to create a safety net. You're afraid now. So let the government take over and give you Social Security and all these other things. Now, when Social Security was put into place, uh, it was put into a, it was put into place for people that died younger than 65. Now, yeah. as we know, people live a lot longer and we haven't really adjusted the program very much. That's why it's going bankrupt. But it's the same thing. It's fear and free stuff. Well, they're adjusting the program by knocking off the older people so that they won't have to pay them Social Security. Yeah, it might be right, too. Yeah. I actually we need, have we need to knock off 80 and above. Yeah. We won't be able to go into it in this show, but I actually think there are more nefarious reasons why the vaccine or what they call the vaccine, which is not a vaccine, is being given to us. And I believe it's being given to us again by evil people for evil intents and motivations, not the least of which is to control us, if not to kill us. Hey, by the uh, way, Tom, I know a lot of people are going, oh, you guys are such conspiracy theorists. No, um, I actually think if you look at the data, if you look at the data, you will see that the government began to censor doctors. Mm -hmm. These are epidemiologists, people at Stanford University and elsewhere who are well-respected in their field. They, were, they began to censor these people because they disagreed on what the government was saying about vaccines. Now, right. when you have to censor a peer-reviewed, well-respected epidemiologist from Ivy League or similar universities in order to ensure that your message from the government isn't contradicted, there's a problem there. And you know this is political when everyone supposedly has to get the vaccine, but people coming across the border don't need to get the vaccine. Yeah. And you know it's political when we have to practice social distancing unless you're protesting the right thing. Like right after the George Floyd uh, awful event occurred, you could go out and protest. Don't worry about social distancing. This is for a good cause, right? You know, you knew this wasn't all about health. This was about far something else, controlling the people. That's and true. Uh, so it's really hard to know nowadays what to believe or not to believe. But when you see things like censorship and when you see things like certain people don't need the vaccine or so certain protesters don't need the social distance, you know there's something else going on. And if you don't, you're blind. Personally, I donate to America's frontline doctors. And one mm -hmm. of my heroes is Dr. Simone Gold, who mm -hmm. has come out and spoke, spoken against the a whole series of issues, but a lot of it had to do with the COVID and the vaccine issues. And, and one of our primary concerns about it is that she was getting data, firsthand data, of um, the interact or the reactions her, her, client, uh, uh, her patients were getting. And her yeah. biggest concern originally was that um, women who were of um, childbearing age uh, the vaccines were immediately affecting their ability to have uh, children. Yes, and it mm -hmm. was it was it was closing down the uh, the ability to uh, the umbilical cords or having something to do with the reproductive capacity of a woman. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you go back to power again and, and and evil. How much evil seems to focus on uh, the issue of our reproductive rights, mm -hmm. reproductive abilities. Yes, uh, the LBGC community um, is Satan cannot reproduce himself. So why is he focused so much on, on getting human beings not to be able to reproduce? Mm -hmm. Why is he focused on those things? Why is he focused on pedophilia? Why is he focused on transgender? Why is he focused 
on all these things that stop human beings from being created in their image and likeness of God their Father. And the, one of the first qualities of God the Father is he's a creator. He's a creator. So we're made in the, his image and likeness. We can procreate just like he can create. We can procreate. So where does Satan go after? Because he can't reproduce and he's jealous of human beings. He goes after our ability to procreate. Because the first thing God said to Adam, the man and the woman, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Isn't it interesting too, Tom, that um, when it comes to uh, something like anorexia, which is a mismatch between your mind and your body mm -hmm. that everybody universally recognizes that if you have anorexia, you need to change your mind, not your um, body. You, yeah, you would never say to an anorexic, you know, honey, I think you're right. You're overweight. Let me get your liposuction. You would say, honey, your mind is playing tricks on you. We need to get you some psychiatry mm -hmm. to help you fix this problem. You need to change your mind. Right. Now, when it comes to transgenderism, which is almost a perfect parallel, you have a mismatch between your mind and your body. Yet, they don't say change your mind. What they do is they try and say change your body, which is impossible. You right. can't change your biological sex. Right. You can't change all 30 or 40 trillion of your cells. You are always, if you're a man, going to be a man. If you're a woman, you're always going to be a woman. You can't change your biology. You can change your mind. Now, you don't treat a psychological problem with surgery, you treat it with psychiatry, and they do that properly in anorexia, but when it comes to anything that having to do with sex, which is your point, they say, right. oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We're going to basically make these young people sterile by giving them hormone blockers, cross-sex hormones, and God forbid, surgery. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on, and they're doing it to young people. In fact, the Biden administration on March, uh, March 30th, 2022, basically warned everybody that if you don't give your child gender-affirming care, i.e., if your seven-year-old thinks he's a girl and you don't affirm that, the government may come to your house and take your child away from you. Yep. I mean, this is a show about fathers, right? right. That's about fathers. fathers. Are you going to stand right. for that? I mean, you, you think that's a good thing, mm -hmm. that the government can come take your child away from you and give it uh, uh, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and even surgery? Do you think that's okay? You're not going to stand against that? It matters who you vote for, ladies and gentlemen. It matters who you put in office. Bells and whistles are just going off on a couple of different levels. First of all, mm -hmm. you mentioned about you can't change you know, exactly who you are. If you're a male, you have an XY chromosome. That's right. If you're a female, you have an XX chromosome. This is called science, ladies and gentlemen. Right. It'll Who's never change. The science? Exactly. It's, not the, it's not the Christians denying the science. You can't, you can't <laughs> change those things. The other thing that... that it just stimulates me. It is upsetting is that I'm sure you know the Hippocratic Oath. And the mm -hmm. Hippocratic Oath by doctors is the very first thing a doctor has to do in his oath is to do mm -hmm. no harm. So mm -hmm. how do you have doctors, medical professionals, mutilating the, gen, gentle, uh, the genitalia, genitalia yeah. of, of, of boys and girls, both, both sexes, he's ruining the genitalia, and you've taken the Hippocratic Oath? I mean... What, what punishment do you think you should have in a good mm. society and a good government? What would you have for medical professionals who did that to your youth? 
Well, that's it's it's awful, Tom. That's why I, I wrote a book a number of years ago. I wrote a book called Correct, Not Politically Correct. I just updated it to deal with the transgender issue. Mm -hmm. uh, the book is called Correct, Not Politically Correct about same sex marriage and transgenderism. Mm -hmm. There's not a Bible verse in this book, Tom. It's not the biblical case against these things. It's the natural law, common sense, medical case that both same-sex marriage and transgenderism are not good for individuals and they're not good for societies. So this book has just come out a few months ago. Again, it's called Correct, Not Politically Correct. So you could give this to someone who's not a Christian and say, look, here's just the logical reasons, the medical reasons, the natural law reasons why these things should not be promoted in our society. So if anyone's interested in this topic and wants to go further, check out Correct, Not Politically Correct. Great. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, the motto of our show, or the, actually the theme, the, not the motto, but the theme and the, and the mission statement of the Father's Heart Talk Show is Malachi 4.6 that says, I want to, at the end of the age, I want to bring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the mm -hmm. hearts of the children to their, possessive case, their fathers, mm -hmm. lest I smite the land with a curse. The curse is fatherlessness. Yes. One of the things, while this is a faith-based show and a secular station, one of the things that was very important to me is for not to be religious. I mean, there's, there's such, you know, the Bible is true completely, but people who are not Christians may not pick up a Bible. So what are you talking about? What is really true? And mm -hmm. one of the things that any, any human being that exists on the earth craves for is the love of their father. Mm -hmm. They want their father. They, they can't get emotional uh, or psychological or emotional food without the love and the love that they really want to have is from their father. Not to say they don't want to have their mother, but they really need the love need of both. their father. They need yeah, they both. Need both. They, yeah. need, they need both, but the feeding of the father to the child helps them more along the lines of their calling and destiny. 85% mm -hmm. of what a father says to his child, or a girl, doesn't matter, will help them define their calling and destiny. Not mm. the words of a mother, but the words of a father, because the way God actually structured the family for that to be the case. That's why fathers are so important. That's why the enemy understands that fathers are so important. That's why he's trying to take them out, have mm -hmm. all seven mountains of influence, starting sure. with the family, but then moving to government, moving to uh, media, moving to uh, any, any organization. He's taken them out of the churches. Very few mm -hmm. churches today have people operating the role of fathers in those churches. And it's all by design to stop them. Now we only have a minute left. So, Dr. Frank Torek, what would the last thing you'd want to say to our audience? Uh, well, I would want to say that if uh, you look at some of our resources at crossexamine.org, crossexamine with a D on the end of it.org, uh, we, we have evidence that Christianity is indeed true. We deal with many of these moral and cultural issues. We have a podcast called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That might be a good place to start. It comes out twice a week. And we're dealing with the evidence for Christianity. We're cross-examining ideas against it. We're also dealing with the moral and political issues of the day on that podcast. So you may want to check that out. Also go to our YouTube channel, Cross-Examine, two words. Frank, we're so happy to be able to have you on the show. I'm so happy to be so, so straightforward with truth in an intellectually honest way. And it, it, truth is the truth. And it can be proved logically. And we want to thank you very much for being here. And we look forward to the next time we get together. Thanks Take for care. having me on, Tom. Appreciate it. God bless you God and your show. You. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Hi, this is Papa Tom. I want to share with my audience um, some personal experiences that I've had recently that underscore the importance of fathers in a person's life. Uh, so many things can happen, many things can go wrong with you in your life, but if you have a father that um, you can share your heart with, uh, maybe it's a biological father, maybe it's not, but someone who can play that role in your life, it will help you get to your calling and destiny. Um, if you're not interested in your calling and destiny, well, maybe you don't need a father. But if, you need a, if you're interested in your calling and destiny, got to find that father figure in your life. And I want to share with you um, something that happened to me very personally. Um, but it underscores the impact that uh, God the Father has through men who stand up and become the role of the Father. I'm not going to focus on fatherlessness. I'm going to focus on the, uh, the true way of the effect of a father on a person's life. I want to share with you the uh, comments and the insight that a young, uh, fa- a young man had just recently. He's a newborn father. He couldn't be much more than in his early 30s. And um, I know him because he's the son of a good friend of mine. A good friend of mine who early in my career in media was one of the primary people I interviewed. His name is Dave Henderson. He passed away about two years ago or more, um, ramifications of COVID. And um, he passed away, so he's in the, the cloud of witnesses. And his son, um, he's got four sons, and this, one of his four sons just had a baby. And I want to share with you, with permission, won't tell you the son's first name, but I just don't know his Dave Henderson's son. He uh, shared his insights and what his feelings. is very sensitive, and I'm sure the audience will appreciate the sensitivity of this young man who just became a father. And after I share with you his thoughts, I want to discuss uh, my knowledge of his dad and the impact his father had on him. And you can see the impact his father had on him uh, as a young man, he's became a first-time father. So this is uh, Dave Henderson's son. He writes, I miss my dad so much tonight. Holding my baby really drives it home. I feel so scared for her. I feel so helpless and inadequate to care for such a fragile little creature. I don't know how my mom and dad did this so successfully. I have a whole new level of respect for them. I've never loved anything in my life like I love her, my little baby daughter. When I saw that head poke out, I just lost it. I could hardly cut the cord because I was so distraught in a good way. I can't believe how perfect she is. I just wish my my dad were here to hold her and share all his wisdom with her. He gave me so many valuable lessons and such a quality education. I wish he could be here to give those things to her. I'd give anything to have seen her holding her. I'd give anything to have seen him holding her. I've really just been trusting in this verse today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 I know God loves me so much and will help me take care of this beautiful baby. Those are the words of the son of a friend of mine who was raised by a man whose 
um, wife had died when the children were young. He had four sons, no daughters, and all of them had to be raised by uh, Dave Henderson as Mr. Mom. Dave himself was a interesting character. Um, his father was a Marine, and uh, he was very raised in a, a Marine household. And uh, his background was part Indian, actually. He uh, couldn't read until he was 16 years old. And then uh, when he was 16, God healed him. It was either dyslexia or some problem. He had some learning disability. He couldn't read. And then uh, God healed him, and the first thing he read was the Bible. And then after that, uh, he read, read voraciously. I mean, everything he could get his hands on. But he was primarily interested in original uh, materials. Like he read uh, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. He read... Um, Isaac Newton. He read everything in all the studies points. There's almost no subject that a college-level curriculum would have that he wouldn't go into very much depth in. It was a philosophy and astronomy and uh, spiritual things, um, economies, and all sorts of materials he'd read over and over again. And he was a fount of knowledge. So I got to know him maybe 40 years ago. And uh, when I first became a believer, and then when his wife passed away, we, we had a Bible study in our house, and he had kids come over. He'd, he'd pull up in this big white van, and um, the big letters on it said, white van with big blue letters about two feet high, and it would say Jesus in blue letters, and they have a big red heart in the middle, and it has you in, white, in blue letters again, so it's Jesus loves you. He was an evangelist. He... He spent a lot of his time um, in his career. He never really had uh, jobs that, uh, and in fact, I didn't know how he survived, basically, other than through his ministry. Um, besides having the four kids, he spent a lot of time down in uh, the ghettos of Washington, D.C. and Anacostia. He'd leave at 11 o'clock at night and stay till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and work with drug dealers and things like that. Um, he would bring food to the people in the inner city very kind-hearted man, at the same time very strong in his understanding of things, and uh, self-taught, never had a college education. I'm not even sure he finished high school, but he had more knowledge than almost any PhD that I've ever met. But more importantly than all that is he had a relationship with God the Father. And out of his relationship with God the Father, he taught his sons and his sons knew God because of the interaction they had with David, their father. And what I just read you was a statement by one of his sons just showing you the impact that a natural father can have on a son's life. And it's, it's going generationally down to his daughter, this young baby girl who he raised by a man who knows what it's like to be a father. She's being raised by a man who will never leave her or forsake her. That's where he got that run from. Being raised by a man who, no matter what she does, she could turn out to be a lesbian or something, whatever. Turn out to, you know, do some really bad things in her life. They'll still love her. And that's the heart of God the Father. He still loves us. And I was talking to a man um, a couple of days ago 
and um, he was talking about the, the stars, and he had been had a time to be out in the uh, far west, past the Continental Divide, up, up at 12,000 feet, and see the sky on a moonless, cloudless night, and see billions of stars out there. And he looked at himself and says, I, I just feel like a speck of dust. I feel so unimportant. I feel so insignificant. I feel so... Um, like I said, not not special. And I ran to talk to him. I said, but that's not what God says. He doesn't consider us a speck of dust. He doesn't consider us insignificant. He looks at us and sees us as the apple of his eye. He sees us like this young father does daughter when he says that uh, I can't believe how perfect she is. And he says, I've never loved anything in my life like I love her. That's the same feeling God has for each one of us. And because God has that love for each one of us, that's what gives us significance. We are significant because God says we are significant. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. These are the statements that God says to us. And that's what gives us significance. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We are created as the highest creation that God ever created. Higher than the angels. Higher than animals. Higher than plants. There is no creation. There's no alien beings from outer space that are created higher than human beings. Because no other creation was created in the image and likeness of God. No other creation has the significance that we have as human beings, as the apple in God's eye. And as a father, a natural father, having experience of the miracle of a birth of a child, their child. And yet, you know, um, this young man, as a father, when he looks at his daughter, he's got to realize it's not just his daughter, it's God the Father's daughter. And he's only been giving a responsibility, a stewardship, if you will, over that young daughter's life for a period of time. Because ultimately, that young human being belongs to God. And I'm sure this young man realizes that. And I'm sure that's what his father told him, because I know his dad. And I know that's what his father would say. And now his father is in the cloud of witnesses right now, Dave Henderson. Um, we salute you and we thank you. But I know if you were here, you wouldn't want us to give you all the compliments. You'd want us to give the glory to God the Father for what he did in your life, what he's doing in your son's life, what he's going to be doing in your granddaughter's life, even though you're not here on the earth to appreciate her. We know that you're in heavenly places in the cloud of witnesses and you're going to watch her growing older each day. And we're thankful so much to understand that we're not insignificant specks of dust, but we're the children of God, made in his image likeness. And God spends every moment of the day loving us, no matter what our behavior is. There's nothing that this young daughter is going to do that's going to turn her father's love away from her, no matter what it is. It might hurt his heart. It may be sad for her, but he's still going to love her because that's the way God made us. And I'm so thankful that the first thing a father, a man should do if he wants to be 
the Father is just show up. Just show up and be there for our children. And we encourage you today from the Father's Heart, Papa Tom's show, the Father's Heart talk show, to be willing to be a father, be willing to protect and provide and to mentor the children that God's given us. Signing off, Papa Tom, the Father's Heart talk show.